Superman and the Flash. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. Taking you through a classic superhero team-up, Superman and the Flash, from DC Comics Presents number one and two, cover dated August through October of 1978. And Bass, it's been four months since we mm-hmm. last podcasted together. How have you been uh, detoxing from Zero Hour? Well, I've been uh, staying out of the timeline, that's for sure. I'm <laughs> uh, Dangerous. I, I know. I'm just staying out of it. There's a dark crisis going on. I, I've heard. I've heard. And uh, so I've, I've, I've been staying out and uh, uh, catching a little sun. Other than that, you know, just being my old self. A, a summer off, basically. <laughs> basically, yeah. That's what it amounts to. I mean, I've been doing this show now with a different guest host for every team-up book of the Bronze Age. Why... DC Comics Presents, in our case, well, I thought, I wanted to continue our association, obviously, but I thought, hey, Superman. Superman is one of your guys, so... Yeah, I love him. Yeah, and we decided to start at the beginning this time, because <laughs> this is supposed to be an index show, but everybody wanted to start a little later, or have a wonky order, or whatever, okay. but I thought, like, we're used to doing the real in- indexing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it's what we do. We we take something, we even weird and wonky things, we give them, you know, a straight line, and we walk through it. It's a question of, like, when we say, like we used to say, <laughs> every issue, every tie-in, every zero issue, <laughs> whatever we used to say, you know, it's like, good or bad, we're going to cover it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. I understand the other hosts, they're going, oh, well, I, let's do this era or let's do these particular comics because I know we'll like them. Yeah, let's only do the things we like. We get it. Find your joy. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually wearing the, the shirt. You can get the Find Your Joy shirt at the merch store of the Fire and Water Podcast site. So I'm wearing it now. I understand Find Your Joy. But I find a lot of joy in mocking the stuff that I find a bit lacking. Yeah, uh, of course. And I mean, it's not new stuff. So I mean, it's it's mocking a bit of the past. And that's fine because it's, it's still legendary, right? You can't hurt legendary so even if we do mock a little bit uh, we do enjoy this i mean i i really did enjoy reading these two comics oh, good. even though i have notes <laughs> so do i and i know you started reading comics a bit later well obviously later than 1978 yeah. uh, so did i but at least english language comics superhero comics yeah i date them more around 81 82 for me but for you it's much later so yeah. I w- so DC Comics Presents, did you have a history with this book at all? Uh, actually, I, I do not. I had, and, and this is a weird thing, and, and maybe uh, I'll need to, to set up a bit of context here, mm. but uh, we, we live in uh, New Brunswick, Canada which is a bilingual province. And we have this, well, I have this weird accent because I'm French and I'm, I'm, I'm Francophone. I speak French uh, all day long, all day or day. And English is second language. And when I was younger, we, we used to have like these comic books that were reprints sure. um, of older comic books, but they were all black and white. And Heritage. Heritage was the company, yeah. Exactly. And they were translated in French. So I used to get these and I've never bought a DC Comic Presents but I did have like these versions once in a while of the DC Comic Presents. So it's kind of weird because I remember images, but this is not at all what 
<laughs> you know, the story I, I remember. For me, I, I started late into DC Comics Presents, so 81, 82. I mean, that's middle of the run or a bit late in the run. Yeah. But, but for me, this played a big role in my comics buying because team-up books, as I've said before, are the your gateway to new characters. Mm-hmm. We know Superman, we know Spider-Man, you know, but we don't necessarily know... Like for me, it was finding out about Commandi or Omac or the Freedom Fighters. or yeah. so, so I like these really weird team-ups because that just was an access to a completely new character uh, and seeing them in action. If later you get who's who, et cetera, you get all of this information. But back then, how, you know, what is this? Who is this with Superman? So the idea of DC Comics Presents, I would buy it occasionally, I guess, usually when I already knew the character. So you can tell. It's like all the weird ones that I didn't know. But if it was like like your favorite Hawkman, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't buy that one because I already knew who Hawkman was. Aw, I could have reviewed it. <laughs> well, we will. Well, we will if we do this for like 20, 20 years or whatever. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was sort of my, as a kid, that, that's what I was thinking of. Like, show me new characters. Show me characters I don't know. It's a great way to do that because they're basically one shots, right? They come in with a full story because it's only one book or in this case, two. Which is very rare for this. Yeah. In most cases, it's just one adventure, uh, 24 pages. Done in one. Exactly. Done in one. And you you get the gist of it. You have a great adventure with two superheroes and, and it's a great way to just meet new people. It's like a it's like a little mingle thing with new superheroes. It's it's speed dating with new superheroes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a nice little pun since we're talking about The Flash today. And this is a show about team-ups, not about individual issues, and that's why we're covering both. Yeah. We want the complete story, the full Superman-Flash team-up. Important to note, DC Comics Presents is not the first Superman team-up book, because back in 1970, they changed the format of World's Finest from issues 198 to 214 to Superman team-ups. But readers preferred the Superman-Batman partnership, so they returned to that. Hmm. Strangely enough, Superman's first team-up in that book was with The Flash. And it was also a two-issue epic featuring a race through time. So I'm going to say this is not a coincidence. (laughs) I believe you, because this little team-up, these two books, they're very, uh, how would I say this? They're wacky. Uh, yeah. So they may be a throwback to the oh, I think there is. late Silver um, Age. So the cover of the of issue one, before we get into it, there's just something here. It says, you too can team up with Superman. So I wanted to see what the what's that. So it says like details inside. So I went and looked. How do you team up with Superman? By finding a name for the letters column is how you do it. So, okay. It's not going to be that exciting. Uh, but wait, <laughs> if you win the contest... Writer Martin Pasco will write you into a story and even use your likeness. What? And I actually have the issue, like one of my early issues that I found in a uh, flea market, older than, than my timeline in terms of comics reading, featured that person. So I remember this. Uh, so, <laughs> so I remember this, like the winner showing up. But this is where it starts. If we were to participate and name the letters column and get our faces into a comic, and I think you and I look more distinctive probably than the person as far as I remember. <laughs> Unless like Kurt Swan would just have made us Kurt Swan people, you know, with the correct color of hair or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we look more distinctive than most people. Would you have any ideas of what the letters column for DC Comics presents? Well, just off the bat like this, I would I would call it DC Post presents or something like that. I had like something like DC Comics presents. 
So it's written the same, but Superman's <laughs> got a, like a big gift box or something. Okay, okay, that's that's clever, that's funny. But probably too opaque. So it won't be revealed until issue seven. So they're not going to print letters for a while, it seems. Okay. But wow, uh, they actually called it pair mail. Pair mail? Like air mail, I get it. Okay, like a team up to a pair. Yeah, and then air mail, it sounds like air mail. Took me a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Not great. DC picked it among the allegedly thousands of entries, but I'm not sure I like the... Alternatives much better. The runners-up are hieroglyphics, presentiments, <laughs> double exposures. <laughs> about this one? Send it to team up. Lame. And oh, yeah. up and away. Um, you know, whatever. Some yeah, are, yeah. They're, they're too Superman-centric, maybe, or a bit generic. Anyway, that, those are the ones that they tell us about. Oh, man. And, and just imagine this one person just reading a thousand letters, trying to find one. And these are the best. Apparently. A wonderful era. I mean, <laughs> wonderful. Anyway, we'll eventually get to talk about that contest winner, Mark Teichman. But he teams up with Superman. There's a, also a hero there. It's like, maybe it's Green Lantern? Anyway, <laughs> there's, okay. some, there's somebody else there. It's not just Mark. You think we could get in contact, you know, with Mark and trying to get him on the show or something? Uh... <laughs> Looking for Mark. In all of the U.S. <laughs> if Mark, if you're out there, and if you're a good person. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> make sure you're a good person before you reach out. <laughs> so, okay, let's get into it. We preface with a reason or reasons why we like the guest character. So, what's so great about Barry Allen, the Flash? Well, he runs fast. <laughs> no, that's not enough. Well, he does everything fast. I mean, he's the... The greatest speedster of all. He's not the first, but I think The Flash pretty much did everything right. And for me, the fact that he was a science-based superhero uh, at first really made the difference. When you say he does everything fast, I know there was like some later when, you know, when he returned from the dead. Yeah. They had him do stuff like, you know, like spot clues super fast and do it like a CSI look at something yeah, yeah super yeah. fast so i i like like it's always been about science and it's always been about speed and they've found ways to mix it up you know yeah to, to find new abilities related to his speed i love that i mean speed is such a, a diverse force you know uh, if you speed up something even if it's tiny if you speed up something fast enough its mass just goes up and it becomes incredibly massive and you can do stuff with friction with air currents yeah. and for flash himself he's vibrating his molecules through stuff you know he's got a little more than just speed going on for him oh yeah yeah one of the things i like is his rogues gallery oh yeah one of the best roads ga rogue galleries other than batman he wait i mean he takes the cake to have how many he has and i know they're all like little gimmicks that are used to Rob Banks, but oh. the fact that they came together, they had a club, they both respected and wanted to defeat the Flash at the same time. I felt like that was like a quirky, fun, interesting way to separate his rogues gallery from Batman's, from from other heroes, you know. So uh, I don't think Wally's foes were ever really as a group as interesting or memorable. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I think Wally's group was uh, a take on Barry's group, but I think uh, the the rogues that Barry fought were, you know, the originals. They they were, and like they say, they were mischievous. But I mean, you can't really say that they were pure evil. I mean, you can't you can't look at 
you know, Captain Cold or Captain Boomerang and say, ah, he's as evil as the Joker or they're bank robbers and they're, you know, they're not mass murderers. <laughs> so I think that's another thing I really liked about The Flash. It's although the things the the adventures were, uh, I mean, incredible and he had to save the universe multiple times. It's always kind of fun and funny and lighter than, you know, the Joker or Hush or Killer Croc or... Certainly if you're going to go with the Batman crowd. <laughs> well, you know, that's... Or, or even, I mean, it's lighter than, you know, Lex Luthor or mass murderers with weird... Like the Toy Man. I mean, what... <laughs> Toy Man could have been a Flash villain. Could have been, but he's like mass murderer. He's, he's totally nuts. So let's look at that publication history for The Flash then. Barry Allen is definitely one of DC's most important heroes because it's his first appearance that launches the Silver Age. The year is 1956, and editor Julius Schwartz is looking to refresh several concepts from the Golden Age to relaunch DC's superhero line. It all hinged on the reaction to the new Flash in the pages of Showcase number 4, a total revamp handled by Robert Koeniger and uh, Carmine Infantino. It was a hit, and it led Schwartz to revamp other concepts like Green Lantern, the Atom, Hawkman, and the Justice Society as now the Justice League of America, which uh, Barry Allen would, of course, be a member of. It also led to The Flash getting his own series, starting with Flash number 105, cover dated March 1959, picking up the numbering from Flash Comics, which had been canceled 10 years before. Flash 123, The Flash of Two Worlds, not only brings back the original Flash Jay Garrick, but seeds the idea of Earth 2, where the Golden Age heroes might have had their adventures. And so the notion of a multiverse, which would come to typify and perhaps haunt DC Comics as a whole, starts there. The series ends in 1985, after the trial of Barry Allen, a protracted storyline that shows where DC was at the time, generally on the wane after 50 years of publication. For that 50th, they publish Crisis on Infinite Earths, the event that signals the end of the age Barry Allen sparked. Does away with the multiverse, which was created in a Flash comic, kills off Barry in its eighth issue, giving his sidekick Wally West a chance to take on his mantle, never to be seen again. <laughs> the Flash never dies. But uh, his sidekick did take over the mantle. Uh, Kid Flash became The Flash. And eventually, Wally West was the Flash. Then the Flash was reborn as Barry Allen again. You know, more specifically, the Flash 62 to 65. This is version two, of course, Born to Run by Mark Waid, a satisfying origin story for Kid Flash, who before this point was a copycat of Barry Allen's original story, but for kids. You know, Kid Flash was clearly created just to bring younger readers into the bunch. Uh, for those who liked Robin, you know, and then they did this sidekick squad known as the Teen Titans for, you know, a junior Justice League experience. The Flash 67 to 79, The Return of Barry Allen. And this one is one of my favorites. I, I know I'm just I'm doing editorial as, as we go along. Sure. But this was oh, an evil no one expected. Uh, Wally and Jay, Jay Garrick, of course, and Wally West, their friends, they celebrate Christmas together. And Barry Allen walks in. He's not supposed to be dead. Yes, he is. But everybody rejoices. It's Christmas time. It's a Christmas miracle. Wally doesn't buy it, though. And then it's a roller coaster of a story. It highlights two things. Professor Zoom is back and he is pure evil. And Wally West is the Flash. Some tidbits because the Wally era was really incredible. I mean, there's they really created 
a flash that, you know, before he was just a guy who was running fast. Now he's, you know, he's dealing with stuff. So in the Flash 91, Wally brings Johnny Quick from All-Star Squadron, one of the old-timer uh, speedsters you might remember, back in the party. You remember the formula, Cisco? 3X2, parentheses, 9YZ, parentheses, 4A. And this opens up the speed force that we didn't know at this point. But uh, I, I, I sounded real... <laughs> Get real nerdy there, but I'm looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is a personal favorite. I, I just love the idea that this formula, this mathematical formula opens up speed, and I just love it. Uh, but it's the start of the celebration all, of all the speedsters from the DC universe at this point with Wally West. Uh, the Flash 92 to 94, we finally meet Impulse who is known to be Barry Allen's grandson. A new kid Flash, if you will, but not really. Wally doesn't want a sidekick. The Flash uh, 95 to 100 terminal velocity is really a celebration of all the speedsters and uh, the final unlocking of Wally West's speed power. It's a great read. I mean, everybody who loves The Flash should check this out. We have Jesse Quick, who is Johnny Quick's daughter. She took up the mantle from him. Uh, later to become uh, Liberty Bell, her mom's alter ego. Jay Garrick, Max Mercury, the DC's Quicksilver. Maybe you know him. Impulse is in there, and there's so much speed. It's crazy. It's fast, and it's so furious. We have an, a, a bunch of speedsters now. There's not only Flash. In Flash 108 to 111, Dead Heat, we uh, we get to know Savitar, who is this speed guru. In Flash 152, we have a new costume. That doesn't last. Because <laughs> the Flash costume is so iconic, you know. The Flash 170, uh, Blood Will Run, this is where Jeff Johns steps in and reinvents the rogues. And by reinvents, it's it's basically a new generation of rogues. Uh, one of my favorites uh, comes in in The Flash Secret Files and Origins 1 to 3, and he's specifically seen for the first time in number 3. It's Hunter Zolomon as Zoom. I'm going to quote him right now. He says, I'm not a rogue. I'm Wally's friend. And he, he tries to push him to be a better hero. I mean, he's nuts. He's delusioned. He's dangerous. He is terrifying. And then later on, Flash, the Flash rebirth went to six. We see Barry Allen come back from the dead after Superboy Prime punches everything and uh, brings him back uh, with Jason. Well, not with Jason Todd, but Jason Todd comes back, too. Yeah, all the best. Uh, so I appreciate that you made this about your boy, Wally West. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 the thing is, is that Wally kind of, we love the Flash and we love the powers. But, you know, he was a CSI when CSI weren't really something we, we knew about. And Wally was always there. But with the Wally era, we got to discover the power, the, the speed force, all the other speedsters, everything. So Wally really is, and this is a weird thing because it's time wonkiness again. Wally is the stone that Barry's built on, in my opinion. Oh, but, but back to Barry. I mean, he, he has a career after this. He comes back and then everybody's favorite comes to be Flashpoint, where Barry goes and saves his mom and destroys all the timeline and then we don't know what's going on 
He goes back, fixes it, and then we have the new 52. After the new 52, there's a couple of uh, uh, some good stuff. The Flash is actually kind of interest, uh, really interesting during the the new 52, but that doesn't last. And then we have a DC Universe Rebirth, and then Infinite Frontier, and now it's going to be reborn once again. I think. <laughs> I think so. But one thing always remains, and it's Barry Allen. CSI, the fastest man alive. He also features in a lot of alternate media. We were, I think, lucky to have a Flash TV series in the 1990s. It went from September 1990 to May 1991. John Wesley Shipp was uh, the Flash. It went on for 20 episodes. We're all fans of Batman the Animated Series. That it created the Superman animated series and the Justice League animated series. And the Flash was in uh, the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited that went on from uh, 2002 to 2004. The Flash in this uh, series was Wally West, voiced by Michael Rosenbaum, uh, that you know as Lex Luthor from Smallville. The Flash in the Arrowverse is still running. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's nuts. Started in 2014, Grant Gustin. A very cool version of uh, Barry Allen. I I like him. It's still going on. uh, 171 episodes and counting. And everybody and their cousins are in that show. Another nuts show, which is Young Justice. We kind of always forget about Young Justice, but it started in 2010. And it it had an on and off thing. And it's very sporadic. But in that show, we had Barry Allen as The Flash. Uh, We had Wally West, who was in Young Justice, and we also met Bart Allen in there. So the whole or almost uh, everybody from the uh, Flash family is in that show. Will the Snyderverse Flash movie really see the light of day? Uh, Barry is still in that race. But there is a movie version as well. Problematic, etc. But Ezra <laughs> uh, Miller is a good actor. Would I have chose him to be Barry Allen? I don't think so. I, I think he would be uh, probably a better, a better Wally West, maybe. But not really. That's with Grant Gustin. They're going for a Wally Westish Flash. Yeah, you know, it's like they want a younger Flash. And uh, they call him Barry Allen, and they may give him some of the trappings of Barry Allen, but they also kind of want him to be Wally West in a way, in terms of relationships, etc. But in any case, yeah, that's a dumpster fire. We shall not go. (laughs) No, but if I was to cast somebody, I I try to look for somebody who has this ability to understand clearly in his eyes, you know, when when, uh, understands the science of speed, who actually is kind of like uh, this scientific type person, uh, a CSI, really, who understands velocity and understands all these things. So, Well, we've been talking for about almost a half hour. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) I'm I'm excited. Cisco, I'm excited. Let's look at uh, our synopsis. We've got two issues to talk about. I'll do the first. These are called Chase to the End of Time and Race to the End of Time. (laughs) I let you pick, and it's like race is more exciting. Okay. So Chase to the End of Time and Race to the End of Time are written by Mark Martin Pasco with art by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. And Dan Atkins. Issue one. A UFO sighting brings both Superman and the Flash to the little town of Rosemont, population 575. Before they can do much of anything, a vibro ray destroys the alien craft and starts shifting the town out of reality. Superman moves innocent bystanders out of the way before pushing the beam into space, 
while the Flash tries to vibrate the town so it stays where it is. But the Flash is captured in a force bubble and taken into a ship in high orbit, just as Superman discovers these ships, apparently at war with one another, are organic? He too gets bubbled and the heroes meet their captors. The leaders of the yellow-skinned Volkir race and of the pink-skinned Zelkot race, who explain that they have warred for centuries, just for the thrill of battle. The reason for their original civil war is lost to history. Rosemont just got in the crossfire when they went after a renegade Zelkot called Ilar, who managed to escape his ship's destruction, nothing personal. They also claim that they came to Earth at the dawn of time and seeded life on our planet by essentially emptying their latrines before takeoff. <laughs> now, now the Zelkot want the war to end and the Volkir don't. But that's why the Zelkot sent Ilar to Earth. Not that they'll explain why exactly. Superman and the Flash are the only two beings on Earth who can thwart their plans. So the two aliens banded together to kill them. Their cages slowly killing them, or maybe it's all the exposition. Uh, Superman gives <laughs> the, the Flash a hint of how he can escape by treating it like quicksand and not struggling so much. By gently vibrating out of there, he does escape, punches the Zelkot, and breaks Superman free. The Man of Steel takes care of the Volkir. But then the Zelkot crew show up and reveal that Ilar is going back in time to prevent their civil war from ever happening. Or really, going forward in time, and then looping back because time is a circle. Except they're pretty sure the Volkir planted booby traps on his way to the cosmic curtain that separates the end of the universe and its beginning. So they want the Flash to follow and help him out. It's that or they destroy the Earth. He travels as far as the 25th century, where Rosemont is part of a sprawling central city Flash has visited before, when he hits something. Meanwhile, if we can say it like that, the Volkir crew show up and tell Superman to stop the Flash because if there is no civil war, the Volkir don't flee and they don't colonize Krypton in the far past and don't stabilize its core for as long as it ended up lasting. Krypton explodes early and there is no Superman. I don't know if we can believe that Superman would let Earth die so he can live, but he certainly lets the aliens believe it. And then in the 25th century, we find the wall that Flash hit was Professor Zoom, who was traveling towards the 20th, and now plans to beat Barry to a pulp. Whew, that's quite the exposition. Now for action. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> issue 2 picks up where Issue 1 leaves off. The Flash is about to be utterly pummeled into paste by Eberton, Professor Zoom, the reverse Flash. But Superman would not let his friend die in the 25th century. So with the help of a puff of super breath, he helps the Flash regain his spirits so he can defeat his arch nemesis. While Barry knocks out Ebert with an impressive speed strategy, Superman builds a singular prison cell to keep the evil speedster at bay. The Flash resumes his race to the end of time. Superman shows himself and explains that if the Flash succeeds in his mission, Superman would cease to exist. The Volkir and Azelkot eavesdrop on our heroes with the help of a special temporal radio monitor given to the Flash. As they catch up to Elar, the Flash is caught in a temporal trap, a booby trap, and is knocked back to the 27th century. Superman catches the remaining temporal mind traps uh, and explodes them in his super cape. 
extensively used in these issues. Superman then punches Elar unconscious, lets him continue in the time stream for some reason, while he gets off at the 27th century. The time mines have opened the rift in time, and Superman must fix it by fabricating a super pin and super thread and literally sews up the fabric of time. One does not keep the Flash out of the time stream for long, though, and as he continues his race to the end of time, he comes across Elar on his time scooter or time cycle. I don't know how he call it. And the Flash realizes that they are not moving anymore and they are trapped in a time cylinder. He finds a note left by Superman telling the Flash to trust him, written on Elar's armor. The Flash is filled with hope that the mission will be a success because his friend left him a message. Barry breaks out of the time cylinder to find that he is attacked by large turtle people with stone spears. This is wacky. <laughs> Meanwhile, Superman is back in the time stream and gets trapped in the 30th century. Speaking to his old friends, the Legion of Superheroes, he finds that Superboy is also trapped in the 30th century. To get out of this predicament, Superman and Superboy try a very dangerous and experimental technique that Superman dreamt up when he was younger, ramming into each other at super speed. The impact is such that both super people are sent back to their respective times. Superman jumps back in the time stream to get to the end of time. Whew. This is a weird story. All the while, the Flash is fighting spear-wielding, very large turtle people. He gets hit, but comes out unharmed. As Superman catches up to the Flash, they both realize that their respective temporal radio monitors have been destroyed. So they can now talk freely without alien eavesdropping on them. They catch up to Elar, who has gone through the space-time curtain. They join forces to vibrate through and catch the time-scootering alien. They destroy the time-scooter and knock him out. Then they race back to the original time when they met the Volkir and Zelkot. Elar into Superman wraps the Flash and Elar in the super cape. I mean, how many times are we going to use this super cape? <laughs> to keep them safe in space. The Man of Steel then uses his super breath to freeze the spaceships. The Flash turns off the vibrational weapon and Superman then throws the spaceships into deep space. Superman and the Flash shake hands. They have one. This was a biggie. There was a lot of stuff going on in this book. Uh, yes, uh, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll go through the major beats, of course. But um, Oh, my. <laughs> there are two covers here. Uh, and I wanted to cover them uh, at the same time. The first one, you got the scootering alien. You've got like vibro rays and bubbles coming in. And we're in Rosemont. The second cover is at the cosmic curtain, the time barrier, you know, it's like, which yeah. looks like a net or perhaps the way they draw space time, like in computer models. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's kind of hard to be fair. It's kind of hard to, to draw space time. But. If there's someone who's going to do it, it's uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Uh, Praise be his name. And I'm sorry, but I'm a little disappointed by these covers. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, but nothing really. Uh, yeah, I, it's very busy. And I think like the first the first one, I don't even know what's going on. Like, you know, once you read the story, you understand there's like there's a bubble weapon and there's a vibro weapon. Uh, but it, it, there's just so much on the page that... It just looks like like you don't know what these special effects are supposed to be or how they connect yeah. to anything. It almost looks like the Flash has these bubbles coming out of his ass. It, yeah, it's like he's farting. He's farting soap. 
<laughs> so that's not a winner. And it's not a power he has. Uh, well, you don't know. You know, what can you do with speed? A lot. And then in the second one, the heroes are behind a net. There's actually some dialogue. Only one of us can pursue that alien through this time barrier flash. And whichever one of us doesn't make it through will die. So, yes, this happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this yeah. happens. I don't know. There Again, it's very busy. And beyond the big netting, there's like planets. and Yeah. And, and when you have exposition on the cover, you know it's complicated. I mean, the stories really are. So the covers are as well. But I think this is an artist. Who, this is a great artist. And we get him for the interior. And we get him for a lot of issues, actually, throughout the run. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is great. But... Dan Atkins is just a little too rough in terms of inking to, to really make it shine. Regardless, I think the composition is all over the place on these covers. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh, and I, I, maybe it's supposed to be fun, maybe, or playful in a way, but we don't really get it. Well, the first one is particularly bad. And then the second one <laughs> puts a lot of emphasis on Ilar, Ilar, however we come, the Zelcott character. Yeah. Zelcott, and yeah. like, this is a one-off. Here's a random alien invasion with aliens you'll never see again. Uh, no matter how important they make it sound in the story. <laughs> it's because of them that there's life on Earth. I mean, we should have heard from Life on again. Earth and life on Krypton. But yeah. uh, but no. So <laughs> so putting him in like front and center, you're just going, whatever. You know, it's like this issue number one, who's the villain? And is it like a brand name? Is it Brainiac? Is it, I don't know who it could be, but uh, is it someone we know and who deserves this kind of team up? Like two of Earth's most powerful heroes? No, nah, it's just like this random alien invasion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how it that's how yeah. it like makes you feel. And you're on issue two of this by that time, and it's like, really? Where's the big threat? Where's the you know? If we start by the beginning, I have a note about that first page. The very first page where they reach Rosemont. Yeah. It's a split screen, Superman on one side, Flash on the other side, and though they're going in the other direction, I really felt like this was a bit of Flash of Two Worlds. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of reminiscent of that, yeah. It's got that kind of, um, just the composition is that, not the same, but similar. And, um, similar, yeah. Unfortunately, the narration predicts that this is going to be a mind-numbing chain of events. Mind-numbing <laughs> is perhaps not the word you should be using. <laughs> <laughs> and our heroes are racing to this small town because there's been a UFO sighting. So in our world, when there's a UFO sighting, we laugh at that person. There's mockery. Yeah. When it happens on in the DC universe, you call 911, all the heroes rush in because it's serious. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. It, it, well, it actually is. So <laughs> that makes sense. And then very soon, within a couple pages, page three. I mean, I listened to you talk about Wally West. <laughs> you're you're gonna get <laughs> you're gonna get this little essay from me about DC geography. Because I'm I'm fascinated <laughs> by DC geography. Yes, you were. Where are. do the cities go, you... etc.? You know, there's a, a whole episode of uh, Hero Points, the role-playing podcast, where Shag and I would cover the Atlas of the DC universe with uh, with its writer, Paul Kupperberg. And a lot of our talk <laughs> is about, you know, how do you put cities where you put them, etc. Uh, and I've done a lot of work on this in the past. And so I wanted to determine where the little town of Rosemont is. Oh, well Is now. it possible? So it's because there's a sign that says that way, Metropolis, 322 miles. And the other way, yeah. Central City is 102 miles. Okay. All right. I Hopefully I did my research right and didn't look at kilometers. But either way, <laughs> if we accept the DC Heroes Atlas contention that Central City is in Missouri and Metropolis mm -hmm. is in Northern Delaware, 
these numbers don't add up, unsurprisingly. Okay. Like even as a straight line, which would be the closest possible, just there's not enough room. The two cities would be separated normally by about a thousand miles. Okay. So there's no doubt that Metropolis is an East Coast city. So these road signs would place Central City at the furthest from the coast. It would be in Ohio, which is not that central. Okay. No, it's not that central. No. But if that's true, Rosemont would be in Western Pennsylvania. You know, when I put a ruler to it. Uh, and fun fact, there is a Rosemont in Pennsylvania, but it's like 12 miles from the proposed site of Metropolis and too close to the East Coast to be 300, only 322 miles from Central City. So I obsess over this stuff. Like, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> Metropolis would have, like Central City would have to be not in the Midwest, not being Central North America, which seems wrong to me. And then, or Metropolis, well, Metropolis has a, we know it's on the coast, and, you know, it's got a harbor. But yeah, do we put yeah, Metropolis, yeah. like, on one of the Great Lakes? I don't think that's right either. So, <laughs> but, I mean, that's that's the trap that DC creates, right? DC creates these fictional places for multiple reasons. If it's If it's not a real place, it can be where you live. Right. So it, it kind of makes it accessible. Geographically, it's difficult to understand where it is in the United States or in the world. They created quite the pickle with all these cities. Yeah, the population is immense, uh, unless yeah. like the big cities that we know are have sm smaller populations, like because everybody's <laughs> in Star City and, you know, this and that city. Yeah, I always kind of figured that they were like, um, you know, because of the whole Gotham thing. And I always figured that, you know, Gotham was New York, you know, or in New York or a part of New York, a borough or something. I don't know. It has its own boroughs. So I know it's kind of weird. So I never even questioned it. After a while, it was just, you know, these places exist, but I don't try to put them on a no, map. Of course not. Except I'm, I'm obsessed with that kind of like I know it's <laughs> never going to add up. It's never going to make sense. But I like to play around with maps. But could we make it add up? Well, not not in this case. None well, I mean, okay, Central City in Ohio, acceptable? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, it's, sure. Maybe it's in Central Ohio. <laughs> That's why it's called that. Maybe it's an old, old city in that, that time. It was. It, it used was to central. be Central? Okay, I like, good, good. I'll accept your answer. Page three also has, um, the town is vibrating out of existence, and he thinks he's slipping into another dimension, and then the flash shows up, and he says he just spotted the crisis. I know this is years before, but Ooh. I love this sort of foreshadowing in Flash stories that he's going to die in crisis or that like there's a, other dimensions. And so, you know, crisis has something to do with it. Of course, it's accidental. <laughs> it is, but, you know, it's not. What do you think of uh, this, uh, how the, they resolve the Rosemont crisis? Uh, <laughs> to be fair, in these issues, they could have just wrapped Rosemont in Superman's cape. <laughs> But they do use the cape because <laughs> they do use the cape quite a lot. I mean, there's Superman makes a big giant spatula to scoop up people, <laughs> but also when he he puts his cape under the vibro beam and then he pushes it up to orbit, <laughs> and the cape is all reversed like a bib. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of super cape business in this. This is the one that we didn't mention during the synopsis, but nevertheless, the cape is a character in these books. It has its own thing going on, but it kind of feels like they had to finish it up. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, all right, so they caught Superman in the Flash. Rosemont, they just have a bunch of people who are obviously shell-shocked. I mean, there's PTSD all over the place. If Superman came at me with a big spatula to, to scoop me up, 
I would still be crying. Yeah, there's some really bizarre elements because when he when he gets to orbit and then you got your alien talking to him through like screens on ships and calling him my son and he must have had like Jor-El flashbacks. One of the things that Pasco does here, the ships are made of living cells and they're yeah. supposed to be organic of and then so you think okay the ships are the aliens. But then no, the ships have crews. And there are people inside. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering, what, what was this for? It, like, it seems to be that, oh, Superman can't let them fire on one another. You know, they're at war. And then Superman stops them from fighting or tries to because he doesn't want, you know, life is sacred. But then wouldn't just the fact that they have crews be enough of a motivation? So I don't know. what I think Pasco makes things way too complicated. Yeah. Because this doesn't pay off. It just feels like you have, like, technology, but we used biology to create this these ships are the ships sentient i mean are they thinking ships or are they just i don't think so ships you drive around and how are they i mean what's the propulsion system do they feed the ships and the the ships fart and that's how they get into space because i'm i'm reading this like a five-year-old i'm (laughs) for a five-year-old once you're in the interior it is very Gooey, part gooey, yeah. part normal monitors, part science, part you know leaves and and bubbles and stuff. I think they just made it weird to be. Weird. Yeah, it's just like Superman is so shocked that the, mm-hmm. the, these ships are alive, like it means something. But it's just a detail of their technology, and it doesn't like. Then you got people on scooters, and nothing's alive, and it's like you never use the ship's biology in the story. It's just like pulling. Yeah. They're all like going for switches. Turn off this switch and not whatever. So it's like it could have been a normal looking ship. It's almost like when the art came in and the, sh- the interior was very weird. But then, no, there's too much. There's this actual scene where Superman is shocked. Shocked, I say, to find that these ships are alive. But then it, it means nothing. So uh, I think it's just like one more complication. And this is a very complicated story, as we hinted at in the synopsis. Oh, yeah. A lot of exposition, a lot of characters telling us things that may or may not be important <laughs> yeah and 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 a lot of these things are like open windows that we never really they never really pan out is it just me or is superman a bit too emotional in this I like story it. he loses it with the my son thing oh yeah no he's, he gets he's <laughs> yeah. very angry he's very frustrated all through the story and I think generally people think of the pre-crisis Superman as like this big blue boy scout, but he's filled with rage. Like to me, that was always, I think, and this proves it, it was a fallacy perpetrated by the anti-Superman lobby. Like people who don't like Superman. I think so, yeah. They say, yeah. oh no, he's too he's too perfect. He's too boy scout. He's too, I need a hero that has a darkness to him. In post-crisis, I think John Byrne gave him a little bit more sexiness, a little more darkness, a little more humanity in, in many ways in yeah. the portrayal. And, I, and, and maybe that, that felt like a reaction to the boy scout thing. But there are plenty of stories, especially in the 70s, I think. And if you go back to the 40s, same thing, 30s, 40s, where yeah. Superman is not a Boy Scout. And he does no. get angry or he does do things that you think are skirting the, the, the letter of the law, you know? And uh, that's just not our image of... I don't know if it's the Superman from the movie who was more pure-hearted, Maybe. which is the same year as this, 78. So yeah, I don't true. know. But uh, but I also think it's like, it's reductive to think of Superman as like this one... It's like, oh, no, he's not interesting because the, he's too perfect. Well, I, I don't know. I've been reading Superman comics all my life and... He's not. No, he's not. He, he Most of the time, he's nicer and softer with humans. But with aliens, 
I mean, I, the only times I've seen him, you know, kind of lose it is with like these aliens, like invading aliens or I- aliens who have no regard for life. Or I think that's what's getting him right now. They put so many lives at stake. One of his exclamations, his angry exclamations is uh, on page is it only page nine? Oh my God! So much has oh, happened yeah. already. <laughs> and he says, uh, "Like he says, what are you fighting for?" And they say nothing. And he goes, "What?" And you can tell he's like outraged at this. So their whole ethos, their whole society, or two societies, are completely opposed to what he believes in, all his values, and yeah. it's spitting in the face of that. He's imagining at this time that something's happening down on Rosemont. There's a like a beam weapon on that city, on that little town, and people are suffering there, whatever's happening. Like, that's in his mind. He's in a cage, uh, powerless, because it's got kryptonite stuff in it. And then, uh, and the Flash is in this cage that's getting tinier and tinier. It's going to cut him to ribbons. So uh, I think he's, he's right to be angry at all of this you know oh yeah i don't don't think this is the time for negotiations actually (laughs) you know this is not the time to try to talk sensitive into these aliens i mean they're gonna cut the flash to ribbons and they don't care about people down there they only want to fight to you know fight this war because they have a war and i mean or end the war by completely upending the uh timeline yeah and destroying our history so it's it's mindless. It's stupid. And I think Superman is very angry right now and very emotional all through this. Yeah, I like this. I like this to, to see him cut loose a little bit like that. I think maybe the Flash gets to be the more he's, he's more logical. He's the scientist. So yeah. it, it creates a little bit more differentiation between them. But as soon as they get out of these cages... They go for a punch in the face, you know? So, oh, yeah. These aliens must be pretty tough because Superman really hits that that Volkir guy hard. It looks hard, and uh, he survives, presumably. Super-powered or super-speed punch? I mean, they pack a wall. They must be. Both types of punches Yeah, look like they hurt. And then they're okay. There's the whole exposition bit, more exposition, but the exposition bit where we've defeated the leaders of these guys, and then turns out the crew, like they wanted to continue the war, I guess, but the crews are sort of sick of it. And Ilar, Ilar, however we want to call him, is a renegade to the leaders, but not to the crew. Like the crew's going, like, we don't want Ilar to succeed or not succeed. I, I get lost in what the power play <laughs> is, but whatever it is. So Flash, you're going to go back in time, or frontward in time, right? Because it's a donut. Yeah, that's that's a weird concept also, but okay. This I've seen in science fiction before, and I understand it. Time is a circle, as a loop. And if you go to the end, like the big crunch is also the big bang, or just like, fine. And you look at their map of time, and there's like all these weird dates on it, and you're thinking, what's so important about 28 BC or 2918? Or, you know, it's like, just, I guess they're important in their war. These are moments in their yeah. own timeline. The aliens. Fine. So you're going to run forward because that's what Ilar is doing. So the Flash is supposed to help Ilar. To end it. To end it. To end it before it happens. But if he ends it, Superman won't exist because they won't. Because of the war, they also... They also colonized. Stabilized. Yes, stabilized. Stabilized before. Right. Yeah. But Flash doesn't know this. So he his no. task is to stop the booby traps from stopping Ilar. And then Superman's mm-hmm. task later will be to stop Ilar which will put our two heroes at odds like they're Marvel characters or something. Okay, I guess that's... Okay, that's it. That's... That's the plot. That's the... That's... Yeah, that is the plot. And then they're going to be stopping every so often because there's, like, things that stop them and pad out the story more in the in the issues to come. 
here's my question throughout this. The Zelkots can only go forward in time. Their technology only allows them to move forward in time. Yeah. Which is why they need to break the, the curtain. Superman and the yeah. Flash do not have this problem. No, they can go anywhere in time. They can g- go back in time. They can just fly in the you know, fly or run in the opposite direction. So yeah. why don't they? Why don't, you know, like, well, I get it. Flash is, has to move towards Ilar, but Superman could reasonably go back and meet them yeah. at the beginning of time or something. And especially towards the end of the story, once Ilar is put out of commission, there, there's no reason to, you know, to necessarily keep going. And when Ilar crosses the curtain and it becomes a problem for them, they could just go the other way around. Exactly. In theory, in, theory. in, this, in this type of, of time concept, it probably would have been faster to go back in time than to go all the way to the end of time, because we don't really know when that is, but we kind of know when the start was. So it probably would have been faster to go just wait for them at the start of time. I think so. Uh, in, <laughs> in any case, well, that would just have stopped the story, because we need all these obstacles, which can only be in the future, like like Flash gets waylaid <laughs> by Professor Zoom. Well, that's just bad luck. Like, here's your actual name villain that you could have put on a cover. Oh, yeah, big time. But he doesn't show up there. And also, he's not really important to the story. He's just an obstacle that delays the Flash. I mean, we all know nothing delays the Flash, like Zoom. I mean, he's going to waste Barry Allen's time like nobody's business. Correct. And then, and Superman's, because Superman is also there, you know, it's like he doesn't want to reveal himself to the Flash. He's acting like he's going to betray the Flash, but we know he won't. And he's acting like he's going to let Earth die so that Krypton may live, but we know he won't. Uh, but he just can't reveal that because as it turns out, they're eavesdropping on the, our heroes. They've bugged the heroes just to make yeah. it more complicated. And then Superman creates this prison cell out of tiles. Oh, my. Yeah. Okay, my question, obviously, is, is this really going to keep Professor Zoom from escaping? Absolutely not. This would stop Zoom for, like, half a second, and that's it. Yeah, unless the the flooring is made out of something in the future, you know, that you can't vibrate through or something. (laughs) But I don't know. uh, But if it is, let me look. Because the Flash digs... Well, yeah, if, if the Flash can dig through that flooring, then Professor yeah. Zoom can dig through the prison cell. He could vibrate through. He can he can just rub it till it breaks. I don't know. Just knock him unconscious and, and move on. Zoom doesn't know where they're going. No, he's, he's just accidentally in this story. Yeah. So why even... I mean, a rope would have been better than this <laughs> breaking up the floor tile. And, you know, <laughs> but you have to see Superman do something super, right? And this is a super type feat, I guess. He's like Lego Superman, where he just takes a bunch of pieces and he builds something very quickly. I don't know. It's weird. He does a lot of this sort of stuff because then Superman takes care of the temporal mines. This is one of your, your your cape moments. Oh, oh, that's beautiful, huh? Where they explode inside the cape, and the cape is <laughs> immense. Yeah. It balloons up. It's made of rubber. It's made of a sort of, te- you know. Yeah. It's very, very flexible. And then he punches our boy, Ilar. And then, and then there's a hole in reality. Just, <laughs> like, apparently, according to the text page in issue two, the story was so overcrowded, but I feel like they just added nonsense, like this giant needle bit, and even Zoom. 
that they expanded it to 25 pages. Like, oh, there's oh, okay. so much in this script, and we're going to expand this to 25 pages, which will be the format from issue three on anyway. At that time, DC was doing 18 pages of story per issue, and DC Comics Presents was supposed to be special, and then from the third issue, like, we're going to do a, like a two-part, and then after that, to make sure we got the space, it's going to be 25 pages of story. But was it overcrowded? Or oh, when it became well, 25 pages, did they just add new incidents? Chicken or the egg. <laughs> I mean, because these incidents are just so totally weird. You know, and, and I, I don't get how, you know, like when he punches, when Superman punches Elar, knocks him out, the speed or the power that comes with the scooter, he doesn't have to ride or drive it. It just goes on by itself, I guess, in the time stream. Looks like I don't it. know how this... I don't know how this works, but then Superman starts going counterclockwise to bring him back to the 27th century. Where was he? Was he in the 30? I don't know where he was when all that happened. So he goes back to the 27th century to fix the hole. Yeah. And it's a warp to another dimension. I must have been blasted open by the time mine. It's so weird. So, okay, this is one of the temporal weapons and it's causing havoc. Fine. And then Superman grabs what looks like like the St. Louis thing. Yeah, yeah, the the arch. The arch. And then he's like, he spins it into a giant needle and he straightens the arch. This is what he does. He straightens the arch and he builds a big ass needle. At least the art is good. You know, it's like. It's oh, it looks beautiful. I mean, it's great. The speed lines, the, the multiple superheroes, the Superman is looking great. But it's so weird. It's, it's so Silver Age wackery. We can't say it's not imaginative and it doesn't. It's not like. Like, we haven't seen this stuff before. So we can say that. Oh, yeah. It's very original. The Flash wakes up, and then he finally catches up with uh, Ilar in the scooter, still knocked out, and then he stops him. And they're in that cylinder that you call the time cylinder. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't know why that is there. There is no... Yeah, okay. This is the real question, because I don't think there's a time cylinder necessarily. It's just they've never moved positions. They're in Rosemont the whole time. Okay. 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 So when they're when he hits Professor Zoom... In the 25th century, they're in Rosemont in the 25th century, and it just happens to be part of Central City now. Okay, so this is now the future. In the super future, where it looks like the land is a swamp, this is like barren earth era, really far out in in time. There is a cylinder there in Rosemont, (laughs) and it just so happens that when he stops running through time, he's in the cylinder. So somebody built this cylinder. (laughs) And it's the only thing there. There's no other structure. Because they know somewhere. There's somebody that went forward in time (laughs) and knows that they're going to get out of the time stream at that exact place. I don't know. It has to be. Or is it it one of the traps? So in that case, it would be a time cylinder? Like to stop Ilar? Okay, okay. Maybe. Flash vibrates it, destroys it, and then he's immediately attacked by turtles which is obviously a flash joke because the flash is fast and turtles are slow but it (laughs) is a very bizarre turn of events and they're i mean they're huge they're big turtles just because they're land turtles aren't they tortoise tortoises tortoises they're tortoises is that what a tortoise is it's a land turtle is isn't it i i've never researched the point i always thought it was a tortoise is a land i i thought it's a land turtle and a turtle is like 
squatting. Somebody's going to tell us. It's completely ridiculous. And then even more ridiculous in a way is Superman with the Legion of Superheroes. So obviously this is normal, you know. Um, yeah. And then Superman meets Superboy, which is odd to me because I thought there was, I guess that they have a reason for it. But, you know, in the DC universe, <laughs> you can't go back and meet yourself because if you go back to a time where you exist, you will be a ghost. Okay. So in this case, Superman and Superboy, neither of them are a ghost and they can interact and they can hit each other. But Superman does say something to the effect that, the, you know, the aliens have distorted the natural laws. Okay. They've disturbed the space-time... So maybe that's the reason. I'm surprised there's no editor's note from Julius Schwartz here. You realize Julius Schwartz was the editor for The Flash, first (laughs) appearance in 1956, and he's still the editor in 1978 here. And and his career's not done, so he's a long-timer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so because there are so many editor's notes across these two issues... Because it's so complicated, I guess. Here is the weirdest one. Superman decides he's going to ram Superboy so that they get bounced back to their own times, even though they're not in opposite directions from from the 30th century. (laughs) Superboy winds up in Smallville. Superman in modern-day 1978 Metropolis. And he he has this idea because he once had a dream. Yeah. Editor's note. Shown in Super Team Family number five. In 1976, where there was an imaginary story where they did this. And here they are referencing, let's just do the trick from the imaginary story that never happened, (laughs) but do it for real. And the only reason it works is because, well, I had a dream where it worked. Proof. (laughs) Proof. Editor's note. (laughs) Super Team Family number five. So um, it's like... They're going back into continuity and bringing in things here that, again, make it more complicated. And I'm not sure any of this is necessary. Unless you think, tell me, you know, these Superman Flash races. Yeah. Because they're so evenly matched and we can't ever know who wins. Mm-hmm. Is it just normal that there are plenty of obstacles that just stop them from completing the race normally? And it's like, it's whatever would happen if it were an actual race, which this isn't. You know, they're just <laughs> racing after the same villain. Yeah. Something has to happen so that at the end, whoever did win, although they never do make it obvious the fans of superman can always say well you know he had to track back from the 30th and then back to the 20th and then he had to come back from that and flash fans can say well yeah but he was stuck in a cylinder for for two pages you know yeah. like the, the race isn't fair so we can't call it for real is that just part of the formula i think it is i really do think it is bear with me i think that this impact between superman and superboy is the <laughs> nexus point, the, the no, not the nexus point, the starting point of Crisis on Infinite Earths. This is where the white, you know, this big white wave starts off. This is where it happens. But uh, I think that's exactly what it is. It's because it's called, you know, a race to the end of time. They want us to think my hero, my favorite is the fastest one. But, you know, he had to, you know, bump into himself when he was younger and then go back. And I do think it's that. It's just so we can't call it. There are so many incidents here that are not necessary for the plot. Oh, so, so many things. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, we get to the cosmic curtain finally. And then there's this whole thing where, I mean, rules. If you go through the cosmic curtain, it creates a hole, but then the hole closes and that's it. Nobody else can go through. Okay. That's a weird thing. It can only be penetrated once. That's the patriarchy talking. <laughs> 
like, what the hell's going on there? So, uh, so they have to rush in through the smaller hole that he's left, and they can't both go through because they don't have time, even though they're super speedsters both. But instead, Flash vibrates. This is Superman's idea. Flash vibrates, and Superman goes right into the Flash. Yeah, like they share yeah. the same space, and that allows them to go through the net. And then they beat ILR, and they melt down his scooter, and uh, and then they. <laughs> Superman's just being a jerk. He just breaks his scooter. I don't know what's going on because is the scooter organic? I hope like not. the rest of technology. No, I guess not. You know, see, that's how that doesn't make sense. And then you see the heroes. It's a pretty interesting shot where the heroes are running forward in time now. Now that yeah. it's well, still, but they go through the past. And now, because we want to show pyramids and Romans and pioneers, we're going to say they've lost their place in space. They're no longer in Rosemont. <laughs> it just feels like the dialogue is just trying to cover, or the narration is trying to cover, well, we want to show these images, but it doesn't make sense. But here's, like, Martin Pasco is <laughs> no prizing his own work as he goes through, you know, in the narration. So you see them running. Like, Superman has Ilar on his back. And for some reason, the Flash is running with the, the melted scooter. Yeah, why is he bringing the melted scooter? I don't know. Uh, pro- probably because of the time technology, I'm thinking. Well, it's all melted. And then, I mean, it's at the beginning of time that they beat him. So there's nothing. There's nothing, right? There's nothing yet in the yeah. universe. Uh, a hand, I guess. It's the DC universe. So there's a giant hand. That's it. So I don't know why this is important. And once, like the next page, there is no scooter. There's nothing. It's just like they've lost it along the way. So they got rid of it. Yeah. That scooter was dropped in Egypt. And that's the nth metal. See, I'm I'm fixing everything wrong with the DC Universe. Wow. I'm just doing it right now. Well, I don't think your theory about Crisis starting with that collision makes sense because of the way that Crisis actually starts. But, (laughs) but... We should wonder why Legion history is always getting more screwed up than the rest of the DCU when there's a crisis. <laughs> yeah. This impact has really softened up the uh, timeline. So that it, it makes sense. Yeah. It's just not exactly. Yeah. And then, and then the heroes go and confront the aliens and basically turn off the beam, save Rosemont. Super freeze the organic ships. Okay, and then everybody's freezing in there, and then they, sh- they throw a super strong toss to the other end of the galaxy. Yeah, because that's not going to hit anything on the way there. Superman can see. He's got telescopic vision. Yeah, can, that's right. That's right. A super mind so that he can gauge where gravity is going to pull in something. This is how he gets rid of them. Whew. Handshake. We're happy. It's done. Let us never speak of these aliens again, despite their looming importance in our own histories. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much what, uh, what this is. So uh, do we believe this ending? We're going to talk about uh, possible endings for them later, but since the aliens have this technology, they could still go back in time and like secretly and undo our history. Well, yeah. I mean, we should have at least, maybe, maybe these aliens are the reason why the DC timeline is all screwed up all the time. These people can't have this kind of technology. They're not responsible with it. They, they go willy-nilly all over the place with, you know, do anything. And they, they you know, they, they poop on planets and start life. I mean, they're <laughs> irresponsible. They can't have this type of technology. It's it's just wrong. They need to be stopped somewhere they else. They need to be stopped. Can can somebody get somebody on that? Like The linear men. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, wouldn't it be nice to see just like a, a linear men, just a mini series where they finally get them. They finally get the Volkir and and the other guys. What's their name? Zelkots. <laughs> the Vel- the Zelkots, and they finally like if they were just chasing them since 1978. I'd love that. All right, who fared better among our two heroes? First, how well does this fit each of their stories or atmospheres? Is this a Superman story, Bess, or is it more of a Flash story? Hmm. It's got a race, it's got Zoom, but it's got Krypton angst. Who wins this round? You know what? It has to be, I think, a Superman story. Uh, I No, no, I think uh, it's a Flash story. You know what? I think it's a buddy cop story. It's a good cop, bad cop. Superman's the bad cop in this <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's a buddy cop story. I don't think it's maybe Superman. Or, well, maybe it's a there's a lot of cape. I, I say it's a flash story because it is a race. Yeah, Superman doesn't have race stories unless, you know, <laughs> you know, unless what? the flash is there. <laughs> oh, that that I, I have to concede. This is a flash story. And the only name villain that shows up is a flash villain. Very true. So I, I got to say, uh, this is more of a Flash story. Yeah, but there's never the, the Legion of Superheroes with Flash. No, but I mean, you got to throw some Superman stuff in there. But at its core, they do say Rosemont is one day going to be part of Central City. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Point, Cisco. This, it's a Flash story. Cool moves. What is Superman's coolest move? Well, you know, as much as I laughed, you know, straightening that arch and making a super sewing needle and sewing the fabric of time. <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy. It's so Silver Age Superman. It's so it's so nuts. Only Superman can do this. So I think that's the coolest move. I'm going to go to combo move. Ooh. It's this idea, but when he makes Flash vibrate, so they occupy the same space and go through the cosmic curtains tear. It's clever and... I didn't know that the Flash could vibrate through something as dense as Superman. Would Superman have that idea if it wasn't for the super sewing needle? Small hole, just one thing can go through. Martin Pasco seemed to be have like sewing troubles <laughs> while he was writing this, maybe. Maybe. Like, maybe. Yeah. Gotta, gotta patch up these pants. Oh, this is what <laughs> I'll do. What about the Flash's coolest move? You know what? I'm I'm a fan of the Flash, and one thing that I hate about speedsters is they always get tripped up by something and Mm. and i hate it when that happens but when a speedster trips another speedster oh that's just beautiful and i love it so i'm gonna say the way that flash ran and hid and then tripped zoom that was going high velocity to knock him out i mean that was beautiful that was just classic it was i love that i think mine is also from that scene uh, when he digs through the ground and then he comes up in the back and knocks Zoom yeah, yeah. upside the head. It, it looks so cool in terms of art because most of the story is a little bit like unconscious or yeah, <laughs> tra- yeah. trapped. But in this entire story, I mean, we see a lot of Superman moves, you know, the Superman wackiness that happens. But as far as coolness goes, I think it's all Flash. Flash really sh- shines with his you know, strategies and the way he does his things. And he gets unlucky once, but that's it. He's always on the up and up. He's vibrating giant cylinders. Okay, he gets hit by one spear. But I think the Flash really 
shows off his skill in this. Well, let's talk about those dumb or weird moves. But let's start with Superman's. <laughs> well, you know what? The cape, I loved the cape when I was a kid. I thought the cape was great. I thought it was because of the cape that Superman flew. But in this thing, in this, in these stories, just too much cape. Enough with the cape. What? What's how? How is this cape so elastic and able to catch vibrations? And you have an air bubble in there. So you, the Flash and the the, the Volkir guy or, or could be safe in space. I mean, this cape is just, it's dumb. Stop using the cape. It's also a cape moment for me, like a more specific one. The super bib <laughs> that he pushes the vibro ray with. Well, never mind if this is a Flash or a Superman story. Like the real hero is the cape. It's a cape story. <laughs> it's a cape story. What about the Flashes? I think the fact that turtles yeah. <laughs> managed to hit him they, they hit the temporal monitor or whatever but they they still they managed to hit the flash yeah with, really turtles <laughs> with a spear yeah you know what i'm totally there with you the adult mutant spearing turtles we yeah we agree so weird it's so weird and it's just like it's convenient you know it's like oh it hits the bug that he has on him that he doesn't know he has and now the aliens can't follow them But, it, like, instead of having the Flash, like, find it out or just, like, when he's vibrating and just comes off, you know, or something that is because he did something right. Yeah. Instead, it's accidental. So, I find this to be... It's very dumb. Uh, yeah, dumb or weird. Yeah. And, uh, and finally, we talk about the friendly farewell because it is a team-up tradition. And at the end of this yeah. one, smiles, a handshake, Superman accepts an invitation to a coffee date in Central City. Yeah, it's kind of boring. Okay. I think the Flash should have proposed a race or something or, or, you know, said something to a future possible doing something else, to, you know, something else than not a coffee. Who wants to have a coffee? I mean, I love coffee at my place. Yeah. But so shippers take note. <laughs> It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come back to my place in central city, yeah. Superman. I'll put on some coffee yeah. and we can relax a while. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about how we both occupied the same space for a while there. We can talk about how we're both gaslighting our girlfriends. <laughs> oh, yeah. How do you be a jerk with the, but, um, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of boring. They could have ended that on a, I don't know, funner note or, I mean, if they were going to have a coffee, why not go back in time or somewhere in time? This was a like a time race. They could have gone back to ancient Italy where pizza was created and, and, okay, yeah. and you know, do something cool like that. Sounds a bit complicated, so I don't know how this story would have managed it. <laughs> um, well, you just suggested at the end, you know. By which I mean, <laughs> this is already complicated enough. Yeah. Yeah, why not go? We'll take a break for a couple of promos and then uh, we'll be back with our special features. Your Halloween headquarters for the greatest podcast selection of classic horror films. The House of Frankenstein. Do modern houses scare you? <laughs> They're mortar, stone, and wood. Visit fireandwaterpodcast.com for your favorite monsters and stars. Lon Chaney Jr. The creature that's been alive for over 3,000 years is in this town, and it's brought death with it. George Zuko. If you were to kill me, you're leaving at large a monster that only I can control. Peter Cushing. Is that what you want, Count Dracula? A last blaze of utter horror and violence. Christopher Lee. Revenge has spread over centuries and has just begun. Morris Karloff. Colin Clive. <laughs> It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. And Don Knotts. So what is brave? How should I know? 
I'm chicken. Plus, only at Supermates Podcast, your favorite comic superheroes versus fiendish monsters. Wonder Woman, Superman, we meet again. You must pay for burying me. Check your local podcast listings for a location near you. All treats, no tricks. And you're chicken if you miss the house of Frankenstein. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics, Flash Devil's thousandth issue anniversary may be his last as the Tried Again storyline comes to a close. Iris Nachos is dead, and now King Zoom must pay. It's the most courageous man alive's last stand, but will he be allowed to represent himself in court? And when he falls, will Kid Devil Foggy West be ready to take on the mantle? Don't miss this sure-to-sell-out-fast issue where other Amalgam comics are sold. All right, we're back. If you just came in and wonder about the Amalgam promo, we're trying something new, which is to amalgamate the current episode's guest star with the next episode's guest star. So can you guess who shows up next based on this? All right, our monthly feature, the bonus team up, in which each of us proposes, in this case, a perfect Barry Allen team up. Who do you team him up with? Oh, I, I thought of everybody. I thought of everybody. And, and, and I mean, I loved when he teamed up with Green Lantern. And and I loved when he, he teams up with Superman. And I was thinking about maybe Wonder Woman. But then I thought maybe he should team up with other speedsters. But in this weird place where universes collide and he can team up with speedsters from other universes you know okay. uh, you could have barry allen just going off to a place we don't know where and he ends up in this weird place where quicksilver is there from the marvel universe the wizard from the ancient history <laughs> marvel universe maybe wally west is there maybe sonic the hedgehog is there and they're just playing poker taking a you know a little breather they talk about these crazy weird stories they have and uh, then they get attacked by an anti-monitor-type Robotnik hybrid that threatens the entire universe size. I don't know how to say universes. In, uh, I, I think it's universes then. Uh, yes. <laughs> like they do this all the time. And then they just go back to playing poker. This is my ultimate Barry team-up. For me, I picked Flash and Supergirl. Ooh. Uh, they're the two biggest heroes who died in crisis. Yes, that's true. And I would want a story that takes place just before... And it has cameos of as many of the characters who die in the crossover event, like for Kid Psycho and Dove and Aqua Girl and S Sunburst. Okay. And it's about some luck-using villain, a misfortune or somebody. And the heroes don't know it, but the biggest coincidence of all is that they've been thrown together by fate. And the readers, of course, know that's a curse. Ooh. To be in this comic means oh. you will die in crisis oh 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 that's that's good i enjoyed that so we have a new segment because each of the team-up books essentially has its own flavor and in the case of dc comics presents it's called whatever happened to like we're not there yet but dc comics presents will have a feature called exactly that uh, in which creative teams took some golden age or some forgotten hero and wrote an ending for them we're not going to cover those stories because they have nothing to do with the team-ups but we are going to take a page from them and every episode ask whatever happened to 
a character from the story. And in this case, we're asking, whatever happened to the Zelkot and the Volkir? <laughs> and we don't just ask, we dare imagine an answer. Bess, you've already given an answer, but that, that wasn't your prepared one. No, no. What happens to these guys? Well, my first question was, why do they all look like a caricature of Leonard Nimoy? That's my first question. But what happened to the Zelkot and the Volkir? They returned to wherever they were from with frost in their hair and anger in their hearts. They start planning together an invasion of Earth. For decades, they build armies, train soldiers, practice taking down Superman, the last son of Krypton. And Elar, well, he does the remainder of his time because he's in prison, in Zelkot prison. He becomes a Superman Flash guru, preaching to the world about the Man of Steel and the Speed Demon. Eventually, as he gets out of prison... The word of Elar becomes the gospel of the people. And, the, and both the Zelkot and the Volkir pray to Superman and the Flash. Factions are created and a running war breaks out. Because these people, they love war. It's the ultimate war of speed. What human god is fastest, the Superman or the Flash? And then, in later years, the Dominators call upon the Zelkot and the Volkir to be part of the invasion that we covered, you can go check out that podcast, uh, that we covered, uh, of Earth. Uh, they in enthusiastically declined, for they would never attack the world of their gods. Insulted, the Dominators replaced the once mighty Zelkot and Volkir with the Gildish Band. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> these weird little aliens in the, in the bubbles, in the alien alliance. So, the invasion... Could not fall at worst time for our favorite alien groups because it was during the 100-day sprint, a once-in-a-decade event that puts the Zelkot sprinters against a Volkir speedrunner for every day during 100 days. The victor is celebrated as a king for one day and becomes rich beyond his dreams. The Flash and Superman know this, right? They know this is going on on Zelkot, uh, Volkir planets. So, every 10 years or so, there's a new Superman versus Flash race that has to be run. And it's published in a comic book like we always read every 10 years. And there's never any real winner to be crowned. And that's because Superman and Flash keep the peace that way between the Zelkot and the Volkir. Well, that explains it. Yeah, that's why they uh, they don't fight anymore. They just race. Seeing as there would be no humanity or Kryptonians without them. I think Superman would definitely have a vested interest in keeping them happy. Oh, yeah. And I'm just surprised John Byrne kept all of that in continuity after Crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. This is what happens to the Volkir and the um, Zelkots. Thanks for teaming up with me, Bess. Hey, my pleasure. And let me reveal that the next time we speak, we'll be covering DC Comics Presents number three, Superman and Adam Strange. Yay! Oh, you like Adam Strange? I, yeah. You know what? Adam Strange, when I was younger, I thought had the coolest ever costume. I, I just love that in Strange. Well, a reminder that we do have a Patreon, so if you like this content want more like it, please think about making a monthly or a one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. This month, we are proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright from Bold Outlaw. We do enjoy reading your thoughts, and the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com, but you can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page or find us on Twitter at fwpodcasts. We'll read your comments on this issue when Bass is back with us, but next month the cycle begins anew, and I'll be here with the irredeemable Shag as we continue his coverage of Marvel Team-Up with issue number 141. On that, see you next time for another amazing superhero team-up, because after all, 
Justice is a team effort.